0: the teaching of God's Word and now with today's message here is our teacher
1: this morning is the second installment of our gospel clarity series now our goal is obvious it's pretty straightforward it is to be clear about the gospel of Jesus Christ it is to be intentional in what we believe. It is to understand that the gospel of Christ is the simple, simple message that saving faith is the belief in Jesus Christ as the son of God who died and rose again to pay one's personal penalty for sin and the one who gives eternal life to all who trust him and him alone for it. That's the gospel right there. Plus nothing, minus nothing. But it is also our goal to speak with clarity about a number of passages that historically have been ripped from their context on the subject of works, on the subject of confession, and on the fruit that should come in the life of a believer in Jesus Christ. Would you join me this morning in Matthew chapter 7? One of the disturbing images that came out from the news of the takeover of the Taliban in Afghanistan is the handover of the American weapons, trucks, uniforms, guns, helicopters, even night vision goggles. Now, you can dress these clowns up all you want, but it doesn't change who they are, murdering terrorists led by a demonic religion. And it certainly doesn't make them authentic. It doesn't make them highly trained soldiers by the most powerful nation on this earth. This problem isn't new. During World War II, before we showed up in the Southwest Pacific, many of the natives in the Southwest Pacific in these islands had very little contact with the modern world. First it was the Japanese that showed up. First it was the Japanese and then it was the United States. And these native people were mesmerized back then. It was the uniforms of the soldiers and the soldiers marching in perfect order and formation. And the construction of the airstrips and the hand gestures directing all the planes, directing the landing of these flying planes that brought in all types of things that they had never seen before. The soldiers, they, they shared some of the cargo with the natives. They shared things like Coca-Cola or canned food, clothes, basic medicine. But when the war ended, these visitors left for good and it left the natives disappointed. And many believed if they would mimic the actions of those who came, the planes would somehow return, bringing new things to help them live. So they started to build things. They built a control tower out of rope and bamboo, a runway out of straw, and made clothes resembling the military uniforms that they witnessed, that they observed. They carved and wore simple wooden headsets and exactly mimicked the landing hand gestures on the airstrip that they had seen. These patterns of beliefs and rituals have become known as the cargo cults. The people left behind believed if they simply followed the patterns and the motions and mimicked exactly what they had seen in the Americans, they would get the same exact results. Cheap straw imitations of the real thing, which is what the church of Jesus Christ has become. There has become very little understanding of the core of our mission in the church of Jesus Christ. There is very little understanding today of the simple message of the gospel of Christ, the good news of God's grace. And just like our Pacific Island friends, people have developed a mystical approach to God thinking that if they happen to walk through a church building door once a month, that God will bless them. Instead of understanding that if they are in Christ Jesus, saved by faith, God's already blessed them. God's already blessed them in Christ. And this amazing love and grace so freely given should lead to a change from the inside out because of God's work in them. It's like the meme I saw online. Church in Afghanistan, we will gather and likely die. Church in America, we will gather unless there's a cookout, a birthday party, or it's a nice day, or there's a chance of rain, or I'm a little tired, or something. I tell you these things because I don't want to pastor a church of 5,500 or even 50 people where the foundation's straw. I don't want to do it. Where people mimic the real thing and it looks like all the right stuff and they go through the motions week after week. I don't wanna do it. I wanna pastor a church where the foundation is Jesus Christ. That's what I wanna do. Where Christians desire to live out their relationship with Him. Where Christians want to come together to be in the Word of God and they don't sit and look at the clock. That's what I wanna do. But the heart of the issue comes back to this what is the problem with the church today? Ask yourself that. What is the problem with the church of Jesus Christ? Is it only, keyword only that the church is made up of false converts to Christ? Or could it also be that Christians are not learning to live in the grace of God? False converts, false brethren, exist to be sure. No one doubts that. Paul even said so in Galatians 2.4. But the issue before us this morning is how can we tell? Now, many would answer with the words of Jesus Christ, by their fruits, you shall know them, which is accurate, but only if you understand what Christ meant, which is what we seek for this morning. Let's go on this journey together. We start with verse 15 in Matthew 7, where he said, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Now, before we can get into the text, it's going to take us a minute to set it up this morning. Before we can get into the text, we need to understand the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount. Most people don't. Because if you miss this, you will miss the Lord's teaching of Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Chapter 5 of Matthew starts out by telling us, speaking of Jesus. It says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them. See, the Lord had looked out at the multitudes, and he knew the religion of men that they had been taught. So he started to teach his disciples. And if you track all the way through his sermon, you'll see that Christ was pointing out the true nature of sin. And it's all throughout the Sermon on the Mount. You see it. This is why in chapter five, he said this you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. See, uh, adultery is a hard issue because why? Sin is a hard issue. It makes sense, right? Then look at verse 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Now, does this mean we need to start ripping out our eyes this morning? Does this mean we need to start plucking our eyes out in order to avoid hell? Hardly. And it says, and if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish and for your whole body to be cast into hell. What is Jesus telling us? Well, the key to this all is found in verse 20 of Matthew chapter 5, a verse that you should underline, write down, and highlight. You need to know this verse if you want to understand the Sermon on the Mount. Here it comes. He says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. This ship, this is the Queen Mary, largest ship to cross the ocean when it was launched in 1936. Through four decades in a world war, she served until she retired anchored as a floating hotel and museum in long beach california when they went through this conversion process she had her three massive stack smokestacks taken down taken off the ship to be scraped down and then repainted repainted to make look nice for the tourists in california But on the dock, when they took these smokestacks down, they just crumbled. They just absolutely crumbled. Nothing was left of the three quarter inch plate steel from which the stacks had been formed. Nothing, hardly at all. All that remained were more than 30 coats of paint that had been applied over the years because the steel had all rusted away. Now, over in Matthew 23, Jesus said this about the scribes and the Pharisees. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones in all uncleanness. See, Jesus meant that they had no substance. They had no substance, only an exterior appearance. Now, the Hebrew people, what they would do is paint white on the outside of the tombs. They would paint white exactly like that ship to help keep them beautiful. But on the inside of the tombs was the rotting corpses of dead people. See, Jesus looked at the Pharisees and said, I see dead people. I see dead people. I couldn't resist. They had an outward religion. They looked the part. They absolutely looked the part. But they were dead on the inside. They had no substance. It was all for show because the chief mark of counterfeit holiness is a lack of humility. So go back to Matthew 5. What does this all have to do with Matthew 5? Well, Jesus told the disciples that their righteousness need to exceed that of the Pharisees. Now, this is one of these statements. If if you were there that day, this is one of those statements that would have shocked you to the core. This would have rocked the people to the core. Because these were the religious experts, the ones who are committed to keeping the little details of the Mosaic law. But it was a self-righteousness. And what they needed was something completely different. They needed the imputed righteousness of God that can only come by faith. It's the teaching of Romans 4.5 where it says, but to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for what? Righteousness. See, then back in chapter five of Matthew, Jesus confronted the Pharisees again because they taught to love your neighbor, but go ahead and hate the enemies of Israel. It's okay to hate the enemies of Israel, they said. And he confronted this and said in verse 48, another key verse, another key verse to highlight and memorize. He said, therefore, you shall be perfect just as your father in heaven is perfect. See, what is Jesus teaching? He's saying, if you want to go to heaven, you must have righteousness beyond what the Pharisees had. You need the perfect righteousness that can only be given to you by the perfect, sinless Son of God. And that comes how? Comes by faith. Comes by faith. Because the standard for heaven is perfection. So if you want to get there on your own, you better be perfect. You better be perfect. But in your position in Christ, you actually can be Christian. You can be because you are in Christ and you are perfect. You have his perfect righteousness accredited to your account. That's what we mean when we say it's imputed to you. It's accredited to your account for you. See, lost man needs the inner purity of Jesus Christ in order to be reconciled to a sinless and holy God then in Matthew six, Jesus says, don't fast and pray like the hypocrites putting on a show for men. Don't be outward like the Pharisees. Verse 33 of Matthew six. How does it start out? He says, but seek first what the kingdom of God and what his righteousness, the righteousness that only comes by faith. This is the context that we find ourselves In with chapter 7. He'd been warning about the Pharisees and the scribes who looked like they were the people of God, but were dead inside. They were without faith, and they took the people down the path of trying to keep the law, trying to reconcile themselves to God by works. They led many people to ruin, which is why Jesus said right before our text, he said, enter by the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. And in light of all this, Jesus tells them in verse 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. See, here's the teaching. The predatory nature of the Pharisees and the men of religion it is that they look right. They look right on the outside. They look perfect. They look great. They play the part. They promote this wide path to destruction, salvation based on works. Their innocent appearance makes them dangerous. Dangerous. Do you remember how the Old Testament instructed to deal with false prophets? It was God himself that said in Deuteronomy, But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet, that prophet shall die. Beware, Jesus said. Watch out. Be on guard of men pretending to be sheep. He calls them pseudo prophets is the wording here. Pseudo prophets. Then notice next, they come to you. They are never sent by God. They come to you. They pretend to be gentle, harmless sheep, but they are destructive wolves, vicious wolves, See, Jesus is speaking of religious teachers who put on a harmless front to deceive others, to cheat people of the truth of God. They are the worst enemy that we have because they drive people away from God. They look like believers. They talk like believers. They act like believers. And so how do you recognize them? How do you know when you're dealing with this? Well, verse 16, what does he say? You'll know them by their fruits, You men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Seven words. You will know them by their fruits. And so much theological impact in those seven words. Probably the most important question that can be asked here is what did Jesus mean by fruit? Because remember, Those that teach Lordship salvation teach that if your faith is real, you will have some measure of spiritual fruit in your life. As I have said before, this is not saying like the Bible does in Ephesians 2.10 that you should have fruit. They say you will have some measure of works or fruit, but they never define how much that should be. Is it this much or this much or this much? They don't tell you. And so you can imagine that this verse becomes a critical text for their system of theology. Now, not to always pick on John MacArthur. He says on this text, Similarly, a prophet used in this passage in the broadest sense of one who speaks for God is judged, notice these words, judged by his life. Judged by his life. Red flag for me. Not simply by his appearance. Or his words. So that is the question. Did Christ mean that a false prophet is to be judged by his life? Or did Jesus Christ actually have something else in mind? Because we know what the fruit of the spirit is supposed to be, don't we? Paul lists it out for us in Galatians 5. Galatians 5 tells us the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. But I honestly think it's a mistake, a big mistake, to bring Galatians 5 into this text in Matthew and make it something that was not intended by God himself. The fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 is what we're to look for in our own lives. In our own lives. That's what we're to look for in our own lives. Not to be going out and judging others and trying to determine. We're supposed to look in our own lives. Love, peace, kindness. These are all things that you can see in unbelievers. Go to the Midwest. Go to the Midwest. Some of the nicest people you will know. Lost, completely lost, but very nice people. You betcha. Yadir hey. And if you hang out in any church for very long, you will learn that Christians can be some of the meanest people there are. Christians are horrible sometimes. Christians can be mean, disrespectful. Paul even says in Galatians 5, he says this, I say, walk in the Spirit and you... You shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you, he doesn't say go out and inspect. He says so that you do not do the things that you wish. See, Paul is concerned about individuals in Christ learning to abide by the spirit. He is not in Galatians 5 telling us to go out and start looking at the other people in the church and become fruit inspectors. There should be fruit to Jesus Christ, absolutely glory to God, but man cannot know the counsels of the heart of another person. You simply can't know what's going on in someone's mind or in their heart. Let me illustrate it this way. You guys know him, Charles Swindoll, right? Well, he told of being at a Christian camp in California. And the first day there, a man approached him and said, How greatly he looked forward to hearing Charles Swindoll speak. And that evening, Swindoll noticed the man sitting near the front row. But only a few minutes into the message, the man was sound asleep, just snoring, just out. And well, Swindoll thought to himself, he's trying to be nice. He's trying to give the man the benefit of the doubt and saying, perhaps the man was tired after a long day's drive, that he couldn't help himself. But the same thing happened the next few nights. And Swindoll was starting to get frustrated by this. He found himself running out of patience with this man because it is disrespectful to the messenger and it's disrespectful to God himself when we don't pay attention to the teaching of the word of God. And so he was getting frustrated. But on that last night, the man's wife came up and apologized for her husband's inattention to the messages. And then she explained this. He had terminal cancer. And the medication he was taking for the pain was putting him to sleep. But it had been one of his lifelong desires to hear Swindoll preach before he died. And now he had fulfilled that goal. Listen to this from Jeremiah 17, verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. See, man looks at the outward. We look at the outward, but God looks at the heart. So go back to Matthew seven sixteen. You will recognize them by their fruits. You will recognize them. It's not possible if we're looking at outward works. It's not possible because you don't know. We can't see the heart. But 100% possible to know them if we're looking at their doctrine, which is what Christ is teaching. And we can prove this. Some of you are doubting. We can prove this by looking at Matthew 12. Christ was again battling the Pharisees. In verse 24, they accused Christ of casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub. That is the context. And you need to recognize this. And it says this exactly. It says, now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow does not cast out demons, except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. And the very next verse tells us Jesus knew their thoughts. So he starts to speak to them. And Christ is rebuking the Pharisees. And skip down to verse 32. Notice the context. It says, anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him either in this age or in the age to come. Either make the tree good, sounds familiar, and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. So notice the wording, speaking against the Holy Spirit, speaking against Christ. Now, what is this talking about? To speak against the Holy Spirit is for a lost person to reject the convicting work of the Holy Spirit of God, that Jesus is exactly who he claims to be, God the Son, the Messiah. Christ is saying people may say all sorts of horrible things about Him before they come to faith. These can be forgiven. But if you reject a convicting work of the Spirit of God, there's no way out of that one. No way out of that one. So what does He tell them in verse 33? Make the tree good and its fruit good. Same teaching as Matthew 7. Same teaching as Matthew 7. Come to faith in Jesus as the Messiah. And then look at how he continues in verse 34. And notice how many times Christ mentions the words a person speaks. He's talking about doctrine. He says, brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And An evil man out of that treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. So you're going to be held accountable for the words you speak, what you teach, what you teach. Well, this sure makes you think of 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So now we bring this back to Matthew 7 and it becomes clearer, much clearer. This is the same teaching of Matthew 12. Christ was speaking about doctrine, talking about doctrine in the words spoken. This we can test with absolute accuracy because we have the pure counsel of God's word to draw from. The fruits of the prophet are the words, our doctrine that he teaches, because a godly man in Christ is still capable of living according to his sin nature. Even if his words are accurate, his life may not always be. So how can you tell by inspecting someone's works? You can't. You cannot. Because good works are not always an indication of righteous character on the inside. And false prophets can look godly. Go, go look at the Mormon church. They look godly. They dress better than us. They look awesome in the parking lot. Which is why Christ already said, they will come in sheep's clothing. But if you hold up the teaching of a man against the scriptures, then you can know, can't you? If you hold up the teaching of a person against the scriptures, against the pure word of God, you can see exactly if they're saying the truth or not. Let me give you an example. And you can tell for yourself. This is an actual letter, an actual letter from a church where they list out ways that they say they are unique. And this is how they invite people to their church. They say no religious dogma. We encourage the freedom of individual thought and belief, a humanist view of life. Our faith is based on celebrating the inherent worth and dignity of every person. Now, my faith is based on Jesus Christ, not a humanist view of life. And then they say this, warm, accessible services, our Sunday services typically include a mix of readings, music, moments of meditation or contemplation, and a sermon, meditation, contemplation. Then, watch, our children's religious education program, we teach our kids to be accepting of differing beliefs and the importance of each person seeking his or her own truth. They study the world's major religions and draw on the core values of each faith tradition. And then they end with this beauty. So if you're looking for a congregation that cherishes freedom of belief and opinion, with a warm sense of community and fellowship, please visit us. See, This type of mindset is what's out there now. This type of mindset is common. Here you have a church teaching that truth does not matter. That's what they're saying. Truth does not matter. And all we have to do is look to the words of Jesus Christ in John 14, 6, where he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Clear enough we can test the doctrine of this false church and we can know their fruit. But if we met them at the grocery store and they were nice to us, or if you looked at how they lived, they might live cleaner lives than some of us in this room. You test doctrine with the word of God. Doctrine is the fruit of Matthew 7. And then Christ says, do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Touch of humor here from the Lord, a touch of humor for sure. Certainly people don't do this. People going out to a briar patch to gather grapes or a thistle patch to gather figs. Grapes and figs represent spiritual food that grows on the word alone, not on the briars and thistles, thistle stalks of man's wisdom, which is exactly what the Pharisees were offering up. And that is what Christ was warning his disciples about. So if I tell you from the pulpit or if I tell you in person that a certain person is a false teacher. Don't get the idea into your head that I'm acting unlike Christ would want me to act. Because on the contrary, here's what I'm telling you. I'm being exactly like the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ would want me to act, warning you about vicious wolves. What I'm looking for is bad trees and poisonous fruit, poisonous doctrine. That's my job to warn you guys. And that's what I'm trying to protect you from. And it's your job too, because we're responsible as believers in Jesus Christ to start looking out for anyone who comes along with doctrine that does not agree with the sound words of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verses 17 and 18, Jesus told them, even so, Every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. The word spoken, the doctrine taught, it either comes from a tree that has its nourishment coming from the living word of God, or it comes from a tree that has its nourishment coming from the pollution of this world. The story is told of a farmer who once planted two fruit trees on opposite sides of his property. The one he planted just to provide a screen to hide the unsightly view of an old landfill. The other he planted to provide a shade tree to rest under near a cool mountain stream which ran beside his fields. As the trees began to grow, both began to flower, both began to produce fruit. And one day the farmer decided to gather the fruit from the nearest tree by his house, the one used to provide a screening from the old landfill. As he brought the fruit inside, he noticed that it was a little deformed. It was a little off, but it looked edible, so he thought he would try it. He thought he would try it. And later that evening, he did while sitting on his porch. And he took a bite out of that fruit, but it was bitter right away. It was inedible. And casting it aside, what did he do? He looked across the field to the other tree over by the mountain stream. The farmer went over and bit into the fruit of this tree to find it was sweet, to find it was delicious the trees, hear it, looked the same. They looked the same, but the fruit was greatly affected by the nutrition of the root. See, Jesus was telling the disciples the fruit, the doctrine of these unregenerate Pharisees produces nothing but poisonous, bitter fruit. But the doctrine, based on the living word of God, it produces edification and growth outwardly, the trees may look the same. They both may appear to be healthy, but the fruit they produce tells you what kind of tree they are. And in verse 18, Jesus is telling us that it is impossible for a tree to bear fruit that is different from its nature. An unregenerate man will give ungodly advice because he doesn't know the savior. He doesn't know the wisdom of God. It doesn't matter if it's in the counseling office, the lawyer's office, or in the pulpit. Without Christ in them, they will give counsel that will be tainted fruit. Tainted fruit. Anytime a person speaks on the things of God, including the life of the family, marriage, doctrine, everything they say should be tested by the absolute truth of the scriptures. See, I know people who believe the lies of secular therapists, and their lies have become a mess because they have taken in the poisonous, ungodly fruit from ungodly men. So I'm warning you, Christians, be careful to what you listen to. Be careful what you take in. You may be surprised at how fast it takes you away from your first love, Jesus Christ. But in order to be able to test, in order to be able to examine, you need to know what it is you're looking at. You need to know what you're hearing. Christian, you need to know the word of God. And if you don't know it, or you don't care enough to learn the word of God, you're setting yourself up for failure. There are two groups of people in this world, those born of God and those still unregenerated. Christ is warning. Don't take the advice. Don't take the teaching, the counsel of the unregenerate. They have nothing to offer but man's wisdom because a heart in rebellion against God cannot produce fruit, our doctrine that honors God. Jesus even tells us in our last two verses, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by your fruits, you will know them. Now, do not confuse this teaching with John 15. Don't confuse it with John 15. Different situation, different situation different teaching moment. In Matthew 7, Jesus is warning about the dangerous doctrine of unbelievers like the Pharisees. John 15 is written about believers. Jesus even told the disciples in verse 3, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken you. See, John 15 is a warning to believers about failing to be used by God to bear fruit. Unproductive believers Branches in the true vine, Jesus Christ, who need pruning, chastening because of a failure to live for Jesus Christ. So the Lord takes them home to glory for their own good, which is why he says this. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now, unbelievers are not branches in Jesus Christ. Jesus warned the disciples in John 15 of the importance of using the gifts for the glory of God back in Matthew 7, entirely different discourse, entirely different purpose. These are not branches in Christ. These are not trees rooted in Christ at all. These are unregenerate people. Those men teaching the lies of a fallen world alienated from Christ, they will meet their end when they are cut down and thrown into the fire. See, God has incredible patience. People ask all the time, why does God allow these things to happen? God's not causing these things to happen. God's being patient with this world. God has patience, even with wicked men. But there comes a day when judgment will fall. Absolutely, it will. And therefore, by your fruits, you will know them. By their doctrine, by their words, child of God, you can know them. You can spot the words of a false prophet and keep away from him. This is a test for any system of doctrine that comes from men. you talk to a runner, that's not me, but if you talk to a runner, especially the serious ones, They all talk about the Boston Marathon. It attracts the best runners in the world, and the winner is automatically placed among the greatest athletes of our time. Now in 1980, this young lady, Rosie Ruiz, was the first to cross the finish line. She had the wreath placed on her head. The crowd cheered. It was a great moment for her. She was completely unknown in the world of running. It was an incredible feat. Her first race was a victory in the esteemed Boston Marathon. But then someone noticed some things. First of all, it was her legs. There was a lot of loose flesh, a lot of cellulite. She didn't quite look like a trained athlete. So questions were then asked. No one had seen her along the 26-mile course, The truth came out. She jumped into the race during the last mile and there was an immediate and widespread interest in Rosie. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? Surely someone would figure it out when it was certain she'd be found out. Athletic performance cannot be faked, but she never admitted her fraud. She repeatedly said all throughout her life that she would run another marathon to prove her validity, but she never did. She was a liar. She was a fraud. The truth was not in her. To the day she died in 2019, she was known as a cheater, as dishonest. People interviewed her along the way, searching for insight, a clue into what made her tick. And you know what she was labeled as? A sociopath, because she lied convincingly and naturally with no sense of conscience, no sense of Reality in terms of right and wrong, no sense of acceptable or unacceptable behavior. Now, when I read about Rosie, here's what I think about I think about the church, and I think of all the people that show up in churches on Sunday mornings, and the people who want to get in on the finish line, but who cleverly arrange not to run the race. Not to run the race. See, they appear in church on Sundays crowned with big smiles, entering into a celebration, but there's no training. There's no personal life that leads up to it. And there's no personal life in Christ that leads out from it. For them, Sunday mornings become a lie. They are plausible and convincing, but in the end, they're not running the race, believing through the tough times, praying and walking by faith through the lonely, hard times of life. And they're liars just the same. It was the beloved Apostle Paul who was able to testify near the end of his life. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And he said, finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. That's the type of man that I want to follow with my life. That is the type of person I want to follow to the end of my days, because Paul showed up and he finished the whole marathon. He kept the faith and he pointed people to Jesus Christ. The people you want to follow in your life have a high view of Jesus Christ. They have accuracy with the word of God. They have accuracy with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they are in the scriptures. And then ask, are the people that you are listening to in your life are they trying to help you get into a deeper understanding in your walk with Jesus Christ is it leading you to fellowship in the family of God are you growing in faith are you growing in love are you growing in hope and are you growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ because if not something's wrong Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5:21 he said test all things hold fast what is good Christ left us a promise. There's a beautiful promise in Matthew seven for us as children of God, that we can know false teachers by their fruit, by their doctrine, by their words, but it starts with a hunger for his truth. And so I pray this, that the Lord gives you this desire. I pray every day of my life that he gives you this desire, Christian. And I pray that you learn to meet Jesus in his word, all for the glory of God in our lives
0: return to the word ministries is committed to teaching the full counsel of god's word and the gospel of jesus christ for more about our ministry please visit returntotheword.com Return to the Word is a faith ministry. This means we freely distribute the teaching of the Word of God over the air and online. We do this without charge. If you feel led to support the ministry with a donation to help cover these costs, you may do so on our website, returntotheword.com, or by mailing a donation to Return to the Word, P.O. Box 879259, Wasilla, Alaska, 99687.